Shalom. No, no, Shalom. You know Shalom? Remember Shalom? Yeah, tell somebody Shalom. Yeah, Shalom, Christians. Welcome back to the... Uh, welcome home. Not welcome back, welcome home. To those of you online as well, Shalom to you. Yes, we are close to the finish where it's the end game uh, for those who are what, defiant, those who have been resistant, those who have been ungodly. Um, that Their end, their destiny will be fully revealed in a few weeks' time. And as stated in Sermon 1, we've been looking at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why? Why did He reveal this to His church? So that we can be ready for what is unavoidable. At, at the same time, to be patient because the time is not yet. So, those of you up, those of you here, who wants to go to heaven? Who wants to go first? Okay, ready or not, like it or not, human history is steadily moving towards that which cannot be avoided. No siaming. No siamed. It cannot be siamed. Okay? Last week, we had a peek into the supernatural conflict, which uh, consisted of the six signs. Today, we'll cover the seventh sign, which is the final last seven, the plagues contained in the seven bowls. Again, last does not necessarily mean last chronologically, but could mean the last thing that was revealed to John. So the seven bowls may not follow literally after the seven trumpets, nor the seven trumpets follow after the seals. They may be occurring concurrently. Okay, another question I want to ask you. How many of you are familiar with the PWS? What's PWS? Anyone shout that? PWS. Okay, and now we know we're in trouble. Because PWS is public warning system. <laughs> Twice a year you'll hear this, right? Twice a year you hear this. Now, how many of you are familiar with the signals? How many signals are there? How many? How many? Three signals. Wow, the one who's handling PWS must be concerned now. Okay, so there are three signals. Twice a year you hear it, right? At 6.20. Can you distinguish the signals? Do you know what the signals are saying? The three signals. You, you know you're in trouble. Huh? You, you know this PWS is completely useless. Because not only are you not sure what the signals are, you don't know, you cannot understand. If you cannot understand, you cannot heed, you, know? you cannot follow. Right? So I, I suggest after this service, you quickly go and check it out. You know? Because if there was a warning system, you would you need to know what to do. Straight on. You know, you cannot look at each other. What does that mean? Uh? Too late. Too late. Well, the seventh trumpet had already sounded as warning. If you can't figure out the PWS, you better figure out the, the trumpets. You know. So the trumpet sounded already, right? Signaling what? The unleashing of the seven plagues now from the seven bowls. So the big idea for today is God has already announced the certainty of His judgment and His consequences. Those who have uh, ear, hear what the signals are saying. So it's no more drill time. This is the real deal, you know. Because once the contents uh, of the bowls are released, there is no way to retrieve back. There is no way to retrieve back. So the consequence for rebellious humanity is then, our sermon today, no escape. Tell somebody, no escape. 
Those of you online, type no escape. There's no escape. Okay, first, let's look at the scene from heaven. All right? We are entering chapter 15. In Sermon 7, like I said, we were introduced to the seven plagues. And with the seven plagues, the Bible tells us that the wrath of God is finished. It's spent. It's satisfied. This is supported when the seventh bowl is, is poured out. It says it is done. So the unleashing of the wrath of God had already been anticipated since when? Since Revelations uh, 6, 11, and 14. And so let's look at what's happening in heaven in preparation for the plagues. Verse 5 of chapter 15. After this, I looked, I meaning John, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was open. And out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in, bright, uh, in pure bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests, and one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The first time God's sanctuary was mentioned as opened was in Revelation 11. That was to signify that God was ready to execute judgment. Now in Revelation 15, the court of heaven is in session with the righteous judge, the ancient of days, presiding and passing judgment. Now is the hour that the angels are summoned and activated to execute the orders. The seven plagues would be poured out from the seven bowls, each bearing the full wrath of God. Why, why bowl? Every time I read this, I, I think of ramen. But I wish it was, but it's not. The bowl imagery is very, very well known in the Old Testament. Every time you read about the bowl or the cup in the Old Testament, it means the pouring out of the wrath of God. An example is in Jeremiah 25, verse 15 to 16. Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. So, bowl, cup, now signifies the fullness of the wrath of God. And why, why seven? Now, the idea of a sevenfold judgment is not foreign. It's familiar to those who are um, well-versed with the Torah, with the Old Testament, okay? Uh, especially the, the five books. Leviticus 26 says this. He says, if also God is telling the people, if also after these things you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. Verse 21. Yet, if you show hostility toward me and are unwilling to obey me, I will increase the plague on you seven times according to your sins. This was Yahweh's warning to His people if they persisted in their idolatry. For those who had ears to hear, they would repent. But for those who refused to repent, they would face punishment. Seven meaning completeness, fullness, the completeness of God's punishment. So whether for um, rebellious, wayward Israel or for the world, there will be no escape from the wrath of God. So that's preparation. Now we see in verse 8, and the sanctuary, right, the tent of witness, was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from His power and no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Revelations 8.1, heaven was silent for half an hour in preparation for the seven trumpets. Now heaven is still before the seven bowls in all and in anticipation because the wrath of God must be fully spent and His judgments duly ex executed by His messengers before there can be a, what? 
in heaven, a change of the order of service. There'll be no change until all these seven bowls are poured out. And then we read about the setting of the sanctuary of the tent of witness, just like the tabernacle in Exodus. And that reminds the people that God is a covenant-keeping God. What He has promised, it will, it will come to pass. And then these golden bowls full of God's wrath also recall the golden bowls full of incense in Revelation 5. Full of what? Full of the prayers of His saints. So God has not forgotten their prayers, their supplications, nor their, nor their intercessions. He has seen their pain and their suffering and the persecution because of their testimony for Christ. But when enough is enough, God will act on their behalf. So you see what, what's happening here. It's like a spring that is tightened and, and, and loaded. You know, With each human rebellion against God's rule, it gets further and further tightened. So the recoil is inevitable. You know? So we do not keep testing God's mercy, nor pushing against the envelope of His love. We do not forget that He is also a God of justice and righteousness. We should walk, therefore, in healthy reverence and fear of a God who is holy. But be confident, church. God hears our prayers and He notes our tears. The prayer, the bowl, right, full of the incense of the saints, now has become the bowl of God's wrath. He will answer and He will vindicate you in due time. Nothing that we give over to the Lord will be lost or wasted. It will be held in trust until God is ready. So church, be patient, be comforted. The day of judgment is unavoidable. There will be no escape. See, no escape. Okay, no escape. The doors are locked. What happens next? We see the scene in heaven, right? What happens next is pandemonium breaks out on earth. Okay, so verse 1 of chapter 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So in unfolding each of the, these bold judgments, John recalls elements from the seven seals and the seven trumpets. So as explained right in the previous sermons, these seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls are not consecutive but concurrent. And each subsequent uh, revelation shows a deeper layer. Remember the Russian doll? And each judgment grows in intensity before culminating in the seventh bowl. So the scale of these judgments increases correspondingly, starting with a quarter affected in the seals to a third in the trumpets, and finally, it's going to be to everyone, all of humanity, especially to those idolaters who bear the mark of the beast. So to help us get a big picture, right, I'm going to show you uh, uh, in the form of table to understand the relationship between the seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls. Let's look at the first. So from the left... The first bowl. Now, the first bowl was unique and did not have any equivalent um, in the seals and trumpets. And it was poured on the earth, the domain. Say earth. Earth, right? Resulting in painful sores and boils, tormenting the worshippers of the beast, the Antichrist. The second bowl was poured into the sea. Say sea. And it became like blood, resulting in the pollution that wiped out every sea creature. This is similar to the second trumpet, but the difference was in the second trumpet, only a third affected, but now widespread. The third bowl was poured into rivers and springs of water. Say rivers and springs of water. Okay, too long. Huh? And they became like blood. This is akin to the third trumpet and the third seal, which resulted in famine and economic 
hardship. Again, for the trumpet judgment, it only affected one third. Now, these calamities occurring in nature right, were seen as signs of God's displeasure and punishment. Today, we still refer to, to these natural catastrophes beyond human control as what? The acts, acts of God. So we always need to check whether these acts of God are, uh, are covered in our insurance, right? But when the judgment of God falls, right, only God's insurance can cover you. Right? Okay, move on. Bowl four. Bowl, the fourth bowl was poured on the sun. Say sun. Now this too was unique. No counterparts in the seals nor in the trumpets. The result was scorching heat on people. If you thought the last few weeks in Singapore was hot, huh, you ain't seen nothing yet. You know. This is going to be, you, you will know what hot means with the fourth bowl. The fifth bowl. The fifth bowl was poured on the throne of the beast. Say, throne of the beast. Plunging his kingdom into darkness and totally incapacitated his rule over the people. This is similar to the fourth trumpet and the sixth seal. Again, you can see the growing intensity. Whether for the fourth trumpet, only one-third of the sun, moon, and stars were affected. The sixth bowl was poured on the river Euphrates, say Euphrates, which was also the domain of the sixth trumpet, where one-third of humanity was killed. Let's read from verse 12. Eh? The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and his water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. Verse 14, For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. And they assemble them at the place that in Hebrew is called Hamageddon. So the dragon, which is Satan, the beast, which is the Antichrist, and the false prophet, they represent the unholy trinity. And you see the unclean spirits like frogs coming out from their mouths, they are lies. And so with deception and trickery, they will assemble the nations of the world against the people of God for the final showdown where? At Armageddon. So where is Armageddon? And what is Armageddon? Hold on to your seats eh, because that will only be revealed next week. Eh? Let's continue. Verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. Verse 19. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. Not just to drink, you know, but to drain, you know. That means every last drop of the wrath of God will be poured out on Babylon. And every island fled away and no mountains were to be found. Verse 21. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people and they cursed God for the plague of the, ha of the hail because the plague was so severe. So the final bow, the final blow, resembled the first trumpet and the sixth seal was poured into the air. Say air. You know, air is the atmosphere um, that is associated with the, the, the dwelling of the demonic. 
And note the finality, it is done. The angel said, it is done. And this destruction spanned not just the heavens, the cosmos, but it changed the geography on the earth. So every inhabitant of, of Babylon and her allies, they were affected. Because of the lightning, the thunder, the earthquake, and the 45 kg hailstones that fell. And when the stones were, were falling, the emperor asked his, his soldiers, what are these that are falling? And they said, hail Caesar, hail. <laughs> the Guinness World records, right? It records for us the heaviest hailstone that has ever dropped on humanity. It was dropped on 1986 in Bangladesh and it weighed 1 kg. 1 kg, this is 45. Per, per hailstone is 45, this is 1 kg, right? But that 1 kg, 400 people were injured, as many as 29 died, you know. 1 kg hailstone, oh, this is 45 kg hailstones. Well, you can imagine the destruction. And so, what is the significance of the domains? Right? To the ancient world, the domains of earth, water, fire, air, were considered the four elements in creation. And so, the pouring out of God's wrath on these four domains symbolically meant that none of the rebellious, whether human or de demonic, could ever escape. It was, there was no place they could run to to escape the judgment of God. So you can see how, how the judgments progressively they increased right, in intensity. So for those experiencing the trumpets, only one-third, and you see that the people refused to repent. Now with more, right? Intense, you, do you think they will, they, will, they will repent quicker? No, the Bible said no, you know. Instead of repenting, they added defiance to their unrepentance. From both four to both seven, the people cursed God. They blasphemed Him and they hurled abuse at God. So although the judgments were severe and the sufferings terrible, these enemies of God persisted in their pride, in their stubbornness, and in their rebellion. So they have reached the point where they've gone too far to make a U-turn. They couldn't U-turn anymore. Chapter 16, verse 9, it says, God remembered Babylon. God remembered Babylon. The Lord remembers both the good as well as the bad. What is important is, which part does God choose to forget? You know, they tell me with age, three things will happen. The first thing is you begin to lose your memory. I, I forget the other two. But as, as you grow older, you know, you, you, you can't choose what to remember, right? And also you cannot choose what to forget, you know. And God remembers the good, but the terror is in God remembering the bad. When God remembers the bad, because He said He remembered, He remembered Babylon, there'll be no escape for people that God remembers. You know. Those uh, culprits, those victim, uh, victimizers of His people throughout the age, God will remember. Those who reject Him as Creator, and those who reject Him as the King of all ages and King of all nations, God remembers you. So if you forget anything today, remember that God remembers. He remembers us and He also remembers Babylon. Okay, at this point in the sermon, you may be thinking, you may be, in fact, appalled at the thought of God being so vindictive, right? Is God the ultimate avenger? 
How does this, you know, how does this gel with the grace, the mercy, and the love of God that we hear of Christ in the gospel? Right? So how do we reconcile this wrath with his love? So I'm gonna look at this, the righteous judgment of God. How is God's judgment righteous? Okay, first thing we need to look at is the nature of God. And even before the first bowl is released, there is this song of the redeemed. And they sing of Moses and of the Lamb. Okay, so here they say something about, they sing something about the nature of God. Let's look at that. Verse 3 of chapter 15. In this song, they sang, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are, you, are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And then right before the release of the fourth bowl, the contents of the fourth bowl, the angel proclaims something about the nature of God. Verse 5 of chapter 16. And I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just on your judgments. You see, God in these two portions is revealed as just, righteous, true, and holy. And as a righteous God, His truth, His holiness, His justice must be satisfied. God is not idly watching the persecution, the bullying of His people. He's waiting for the day that he will eradicate all evil from the face of this earth. He will not pardon the guilty. Yet in his wrath, the Bible tells us, he will not just anyhow, you know, meet out judgment, but will execute the punishment with, in accordance with the crime. The angel said, it is what they deserve. No more, no less, but it is what they deserve. So this is not a contradiction, but the logical consequence of God's word, of his steadfast love and his faithfulness. I don't know about you, growing up, uh, I wasn't often punished by my mom. But when she does that, I remember the times where she would pinch my fingers you know, in my ears with what? With clothes packs. You know. Have you anybody experienced that? You know? And then sometimes I have to kneel down. Today, if you do this, it will be considered child abuse. You know? But in those days, when it happened, I, I can't remember what I did wrong, but I became a, a more reflective person. Because her act was a loving act of deterrent, right? Stopping me from continuing in my wrongdoing so that what? If I, if I persist in my wrongdoing, I will incur a punishment worse than what I was getting, you know? So it was her love that stopped me from getting worse, you know, right? What are the, what are the good points of that? You know, it has made my hearing sharper. <laughs> so a holy and loving God Right? He cannot overlook justice by excusing sin. He cannot. No parent in his right mind will do that as well. Right? So where we are currently is called the grace period. The period of God's mercy, the 1,260 days, the church age between the first coming and the second coming of the Lord. Where Jesus offers the world adequate time to repent and to turn around from their wicked ways. How? By expressing faith in Christ Savior. Because one day we'll meet Christ face to face as the judge. The Bible says that he will be the judge of the living and the dead. So we don't take this provision lightly. Those of us 
who face him now and say, you're my saviour, you'll be kept. If you don't, one day you'll see him as your judge. So we don't, we ignore this to our own peril, right? So God is a holy, righteous God and his judgments are righteous. Who is his judgment aimed at, right? So let's read Revelation 17, 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bows came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters and with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. Verse 4. The woman was arrayed in purple scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels, pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. Verse 5, And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. God's judgment was targeted on Babylon. And Babylon's first mention, even the downfall, was already mentioned in Revelation 14.8. What is Babylon? Babylon connotes the center of human flourishing apart from God. Apart from God. Humanity seeking to build her own kingdom, opposing God's rule. So we see this first in Genesis 11. Actually, in Genesis 10, but in Genesis 11, you see the full expression of the erecting of the ziggurat, right? where they wanted to build this to make a name for themselves. And it was there at the Tower of Babel that God disinherited and dispersed the nations. So John here openly identified Rome as their current Babylon, the enemy of God's faithful people. But more about Babylon in the next sermon. So who else was targeted by God in this judgment? Babylon's alliances, the kings, the beasts, and the peoples, the multitudes. Verse 15, And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. We always say that, right? Who are the people we, we sang? People of every tribe, every nation, every tongue, right? Who are these people that we always see in Revelation? Those worshippers of the Lamb. But similarly, there, there are multitudes who will follow Babylon. Same. You know, multitudes, nations, languages. These are the ones who have ganged up with her, the, demo, the, the demons, the political systems, the uh, world religious economic systems. See, the, the sexual immor immorality, so many times it's mentioned, right? The sexual immor immorality of Babylon denotes not just spiritual idolatry, which is, which is bad enough, but speaks of the immoral yet enticing allure that she had over the mind, body, and soul of her followers. Nothing good will come up from these corrupt, immoral unions. And those who indulge in playing footsie with Babylon will be judged. So take care, church, that you're not counted among them. Counted among them. So how was God's judgment on Babylon ex executed? Verse 16. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hit the prostitute. Who's the prostitute? No, I'm not asking a general question. It's the Bible, Babylon, Babylon. <laughs> and the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. What happened? Right, the followers... They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out His purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. It's like the saying, with friends like this, who needs enemies, right? 
So they turned against her. As soon as Babylon ceased to be of benefit, ceased to be trending, they, they abandoned her. They abandoned her. They turned against her because there's no loyalty among the godless. Right? If they turn against others, they will turn against us. They're always thinking about themselves. If it benefits them, they will. But now, since Babylon has lost its luster, they gave up on her. So God allowed this inevitable implosion uh, in fighting to occur. Because Babylon's alliances consisted of those who wanted to profit from the association with her. But they turned against her as soon as she passed her use by date, transferred their allegiance to the beast, the next dominant power. G.K. Chesterton says this in his book, Orthodoxy. He said, men did not love Rome because she was great. She was great because they had loved her. Isn't that true with things of our lives? They have power because we empower them. Men did not love Rome because she was great. She was great because they loved her. And when they stopped loving her, she lost her greatness. But yet in all these things, God's purpose was fulfilled. Even in this, God is sovereign. Not even the beast will escape judgment. So no escape. Tell your neighbor, no escape. Okay, this place, these bowls were designed by God to bring people to repentance. Repent from their evil deeds. But if they continue to come against God, they will face eternal destruction one day. There will be consequences. Of this, we are certain. At the end of the day, the righteous God will have His last word. And when that day comes, it will be too late. Way too late. So what is our response? We need to encourage one another. We need to spur one another to remain faithful to God. We always hope for an ever better tomorrow, right? But the reality is that this world, it's actually going to get worse before it gets better. So rather than resign to this fact, we need to be mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually be prepared. We need to stay focused and stay together. The days ahead, as revealed by Jesus, will be tough for believers. It will be extremely difficult to keep strong if you're doing life by yourself. We need to be a community of faith where intentional disciple-making happens, where we can help guide new believers struggling with their faith and their spiritual walk, where we can encourage those who are emotionally and mentally stressed by all the bad news and the troubles. And you need to teach God's Word accurately and share your experiences and your victories to benefit members of His body. The COVID-19 has taught us that without a closely knit faith community, right, we are vulnerable and we are ill-equipped to fend for ourselves. We need one another. We need accountability. We need assurance. And we need assistance. So what can you and I do knowing that God's judgment it's certain God's judgment is coming. What should you and I do? First, we should brace ourselves uh, for the in inevitable. We should brace ourselves for the inevitable. You may be asking why. Why, Pastor? Why, why does the godly and the righteous, you know, included in this suffering alongside the ungodly and the wicked? Why is the church... Why does the church need to experience, uh, in some measure, God's wrath, whether expressed through e economic hardship, or natural calamities, or even political upheavals? 
Why? Well, we, we don't have all the answers, but we do know that God is just good and kind. And He's able to differentiate between the righteous, the destiny of the righteous, and the destiny of the unrighteous. God knows those who are His. So if you're feeling uncertain and fearful because of this, that you're not sure, you know, we want to stand alongside you. We want to pray with you. If you need to make right with God, we will open the altars. You can come and, and, and be certain of where God finds you, on which camp God sees you. That's the, that's the first thing you and I need to do. But the second thing that we, we can do, hearing this, the inevitability of the judgment of God, is that we must work while it is day, when night comes, no man, when no man can work. Jesus forewarned his disciples in John 9, 4, right? He said, we must work the works of him who sent me. While it is day, night is coming, when no one can work. I don't know about you, when I went to the full-time call, I didn't hear like, I didn't see lightning, I didn't hear thunder, I didn't hear a booming voice from God saying, you must go into full-time ministry. All these years, more than 40 years now, or close to 40 years now, this was the verse, this is my ministry verse. This was the verse that brought conviction to me. We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Based on this verse, I gave myself to serve the Lord. The Lord may be saying the same to you. you know? Yeah, it's good to live a Christ-like life. You know, it's good to live godly life, be a witness. But it's God calling some of you because the time is short to use the remaining of your life to serve God in a greater capacity. I'm not sure even full-time capacity. Last night, we were, I was preaching at the Next Gen and there were people who came out, there were young people who came out and said they feel, yeah, they want to consider this possibility of serving God in a full-time capacity. You know, all these 40 years, right, I never expected a COVID. I never expected such a thing, you know, that would happen that the world would be locked down. I never expected such a thing that the church would, would not have services on a Sunday. Never expected. So today, I'm still working while it is day. Because when night comes, it's too late, baby. It's too late. It's too late. And so, can we rise? Can we stand? And let's open our hearts to the Lord this morning as we close this time. And say, God, if I'm not certain about where I stand, I want assurance. I want to know that, Lord God, when the day comes, when the seven bowls, the first bowl is poured out, you know, am I ready? Am I going to be ready? Am I ready now? Am I ready to meet my maker? If that's you, you know, as you look to the Lord, you know, heads bow, eyes closed, you shouldn't be looking around now. It's between you and the Lord. And just come before God. Do you really have that assurance that God is for you, not against you? That you're walking in the path of God, that you're right before God. And when the day of separation comes, He knows who you are. He, he can call you by name. You have that certainty. If not, we want to pray with you. And that some of you, on the other hand, God is speaking to you to use what you have the days remaining of your life, who knows when that is, right? To even greater serve the Lord. Some of you may be a full-time calling, maybe a change to think about really giving your life to the most important thing possible, to be a witness for the Lord, to see that the body of Christ is encouraged and edified. Who knows when the night will come? Work 
about it is day, the Bible says. Hallelujah. Father, we come before you. We thank you for the revelation of Jesus Christ because he wants us to know. He wants us to know before anything happens. He wants us to be prepared, to be ready. And so today we come before you, Lord. We won't dismiss your word. We will not ignore, we will not disregard the warnings that Jesus gives us in the revelation. But we search our hearts. Holy Spirit, come and search our hearts today. Let us know where we stand with you. Help us know if we need to make right with you. Help us know that, oh God, so that when we walk out of this place, we have the assurance that no matter what happens, we are ready. We are pre prepared and we are ready. And for some of us, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit, you may speak to us. You may, you may challenge us to work while it is day. Because when the night comes, even though we desire, even though we say we want, it will be too late. It will be too late. So Father, I pray that your people will take opportunity when it is day, while it is day, to serve you with all their hearts, to serve you with all their might. Father, we commit ourselves to you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we open the altars now as the worship team comes and leads us in a song. If you're the full-time call, you're not sure about where you stand with the Lord, you want to make right, the altars are open for you. We bend our knees, oh Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things, oh God, we cast down our idols. Oh, give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Believe the Lord has spoken. Let us not lift our souls to another.
Let us not lift our souls to 